Um, can you hear me okay? Good morning. Man, I always feel like I'm a RoboCop or something with all these wires. Let me just get untangled a little bit. Um, is this okay? I, I tend to kind of move around, and I know that can be dizzying for some people. Um, before I begin this morning, I want to um, thank one person who some of this material is from, and that's my pastor back in Minnesota. His name is Ned Berube. And I've known Ned for a number of years, um, has been a great, one of the best Bible teachers that I, I know. Um, when I asked him, I said, can I use some of this material, which he just put out on a blog not too long ago. He said, listen, I give you a lifetime pass to anything that I have, anything that I've spoken, anything that I've written. I thought, well, that's better than Netflix or Amazon Prime or anything like that. And so some of this comes from him. And I knew him when he was quite younger than he is now. I mean, I've known him when I was single, I think in the late 70s is when I met him. And right now he's 65. He leads the organization that um, we are a part of back in the States. And he has finished well. I mean, he's not dead yet, you know, but he really has, he's done well. He's continued to grow. I've seen him go through times. I can remember one time I was sitting at his bedside in the University of Minnesota Hospital because they thought he was going to die. And he was diagnosed with a rare disease that there was no cure for at that time. And so instead of letting him die, they said, hey, this is interesting. Let's, um, let's bring you in here, see what we can do, because we've never done this before. And he's still alive today. So I just want to give him a shout out for that, because um, some of this stuff comes from him. But I want to talk a little bit today about what does it mean to finish well? Now, when you think about that, maybe you think of people who are my age or people who are Rick's age or people who are older or your parents or something like that, and you think, well, I'm still young. But let me just ask you a question. How many of you became a Christian when you were in college? If you could raise your hands. Okay. How many of you became a Christian when you are in high school? Okay. Some of you are like, you raise hands like this. I don't know if you're going like that or whatever. But how many of you became a Christian after you got married? Okay, it's all kind of evenly, but those three things that I said, whether it's you finish high school, you finish college, or you get married, you get a new job, you relocate to somewhere else, those are all transitions. And a lot of, for a lot of people in life, those are the times when they stop. Those are the times when they plateau. Those are the times when they quit following God. And... How many of you, let me ask you this, how many of you know people that when you became a Christian, they were following God, and now they're not? Okay, it's quite a few. Yeah, so we, we want to take a look today. This is kind of a long passage, but I'm just going to pull a couple parts out of it. This is Colossians 4.10. And you know, when I first became a Christian, I would read Paul's letters, and I'd think, why does he write all these funny things at the end? Like, say hi to him, say hi to her, make sure you do this. Oh, don't forget my robe. I mean, I thought, what impact does that have on me today? That doesn't really, I don't really care if Paul got his robe or not when he was cold. But if you research it, and today we have a lot of good commentaries, a lot of good resources, you find out that, number one, this is a real letter written to real people who were having real problems. Of course, the Holy Spirit works and speaks to us today, but a lot of times we can go through the last parts of Paul's letters and just kind of, okay, 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 and then go on. But today I want to camp there a little bit and look at three people that are in this at the end of Colossians. 
So he says, my fellow prisoner Aristus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, that's a good name, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heriopolis. My dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to it, see that it is also read in the church in, of the Laodiceans and capital... No, it doesn't say that. And that in turn read... you, And you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you have com- see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Now, the reason he says I write this with my own hands is oftentimes at that time they had a secretary that would write down what was written. But this time Paul does it himself. Three people that I want to quickly bring out in this um, this passage. One is Luke. Who's Luke? Does that ring a bell? How many of you know who Luke was? Okay, Luke was a doctor, and Paul wrote most of the New Testament, but the second person who wrote a lot in the New Testament was Luke. And it's interesting, Luke began as a doctor, and in the end, I'm sure he was still practicing medicine or practicing whatever he was doing of some sort, but he was following Jesus, and he followed Paul around. Every time Paul mentions Luke in his letters, it's always in a good light. So we can say Luke was someone who finished well. Now, another person I want to point out is Demas. Anybody know who's Demas? Okay. Um, Demas was a little bit different. Let's look at 2 Timothy 4.10. He starts at verse 9, and he says, Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, who loved this world has deserted and gone on to Thessalonica. Christians has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. So again, what he says about Luke is Luke has endured, Luke has persevered, Luke has stayed on. But what happened to Demas? For whatever reason, he chucked it. He gave it up. He left. And he went on. He went on to other things. He, he didn't just say, okay, I'm going, goodbye. He deserted Paul, who loved the world and gone on. So we can look at this and look at Demas and say, he didn't finish well. You know, he, he didn't do well. The letter of Colossians was written before uh, Paul's letter to Timothy. So this is after. In the beginning, he was actually working with Paul and he was working with Luke. But in the end, he took off. Now, the third guy I want to look at is Archippus. Now, who's Archippus? If we look at Philemon, the first two verses in there, it says, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Okay, this is Paul's common um, way that he greets people and starts his letters. To Philemon, our dear brother and fellow worker. Also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. So what does that mean? Why does he say fellow soldier? He doesn't say fellow worker. 
He doesn't say friend. He doesn't say brother. He says our fellow soldier. And the Greek in here implies this is somebody who's fighting. This is somebody who is really going after, fighting for the faith, just going after things, not hiding back, going to the front lines, and fighting a fierce battle. So Paul calls him that. He calls him our fellow soldier. But when we get to the passage that we read in Colossians, something has happened. If we go back to that, we can see, he says, Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. What happened? Okay, the Greek in there, it doesn't say that he quit. It doesn't say that he just stopped doing it. He was still doing it, but something had happened. He had slowed down. And the implication in there is that he lost zeal for what he was doing. That he just stagnated. He just kind of stopped. Have you ever been there? I have. (laughs) At times where it just seems like Another Sunday, another Bible study, another this, another that. And you just kind of feel like you plateau. You feel like you just stagnate, that you're not really growing at all. Paul exhorts him, finish what you're doing. Finish well. Now, what stops us from finishing well? Um, I I thought of three things, and I want to bring these things out, and then we'll go into them a little bit. First is that people become disheartened. I think everybody who comes up here to get baptized, nobody says, yes, I, I want to give my life to Jesus today, but, um, you know, you know, or next week we'll, I'll think about it again. Or when I go to college, I'll reconsider. You know, or when I get a new job, I'll have to rethink this. No, when we do baptisms, people are ready to jump in, literally, but really ready to give themselves to God to sell themselves to God, to give their lives to God. So what happens along the way? A lot of people just lose heart. A lot of people lose hope um, for whatever reasons. Maybe something that's very precious just doesn't happen. Maybe something that you really wanted never comes. Maybe you went through a time and you feel like, forget it, this doesn't work. And so looking at God as kind of a formula for success or something like that, when the outcome doesn't come the way you want it to, you just throw it away. And a lot of times we live in that area of being disheartened and we go a long ways. And listen carefully, a lot of us have very valid reasons for being disheartened. Okay, you have a lot of valid reasons and God knows this, but God who gave his only son and sacrificed everything... For us, he understands, but the price that his son paid was much higher than anything that we have gone through. Number two is that you become exhausted. Um, Most of you here probably work very, very long weeks, lots of hours. You maybe don't see your families very much, or you don't see your spouse very much, or children who don't see their parents very much because you're working and working. We live in a culture where this is honored. If you're not working, it means you're not valuable. If you're not busy, it means you're not valuable. In the mornings when I go to class, if I get in the elevator, um, I ask my neighbors, how are you? Are you busy? Nobody will say no. You thought about that? Think about your own culture, your own office culture, your own work culture. 
We love to say, 哎呦，非常忙，非常忙。I'm so so busy. I'm just so so busy. Because if you're not busy in this culture, it means you don't have any value. So we keep busy to keep busy because that gives us value, and that can sink into us as well, where we shift our value from being God's child to because we work hard and we do a lot. But Jesus wasn't like this. I'm just going to read this out. This is in Luke five fifteen and sixteen. It says at this time, this is early in the gospel before things got kind of bad for Jesus. He says, "Yet the news about him, Jesus, spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed." I mean, that is kind of counterproductive. You think about that. If you got a promotion today, if your project suddenly went public today, if you did something that was really well, if your investment suddenly had great yields, your boss, your partners, whatever, would say just the opposite. Now's the time to capitalize. Now's the time. Get out in there. You need to work even harder. You're in the spotlight. Next week, people are going to forget about you. So take advantage of this. You need to do this. Now is the time, and instead, what does Jesus do? He takes off. He goes to some quiet place to pray, and, and when you when you think about this in terms of the way we live, it's like this just doesn't fit. This just doesn't work. Why? Again, the, the, my pastor. This is what he wrote about this. He said Jesus never appears rushed and overworked in the Gospels, does he? Because ministry was not his first priority, it was simply obeying his will, obeying his father's will, and being present to his father at every turn in his life. He was never really emotionally exhausted before Gethsemane, but we mere mortals we get there easily. When I first read this, I had to step back. Ministry was not his first priority. What did he come for? I thought he came to die for us. Ministry was not his first priority. What was his first priority? Listening to the Father, and simply obeying the Father at every turn, at every step, at every breath, at every way. You know, when I read this, then I think, well, that's the same thing we've talked about with abiding. If you do ministry or not do ministry, you know what? It doesn't matter. Because what is ministry? The real ministry is to follow G, follow Jesus, listen to His voice, and at every step of the way, every step of your life, following Him. And so, when I read this, I thought, then I can do this. Now, some of you work full time jobs, and maybe you feel like, well, I wish I could be in ministry full time. You are. Some of you are in ministry full time. And yet, maybe you don't listen to Jesus the way that you need to. This is not a for these people or these people it fits. For other people, it doesn't. This is blanket for all of us. No matter where we are, we're called to, and we can follow Jesus and listen to His voice in whatever setting we're in. Now, the third thing is that we become distracted, and I think that's pretty easy to see as well.、Um, last month was it? Was it last month we went up to Mongolia? We were there, and we met a Korean couple that speak Mongolian. They have done discipleship training schools and things like that for many, many, many years. I mean, these people, faithful, faithful people. 
And they had been gone for a few years and came back. And we saw them and they were a bit disheartened. Because Mongolia has changed. If you haven't been up there recently, there's a bit of a gold rush, literally. <laughs> and there's a lot of building, a lot of things going on. But there's fresh money. And it reminds me a little bit of China in the 80s or the early 90s where money was coming in. But what has happened to the church is people who became Christians in the 90s, people who were leading fellowships, people who this couple had trained, most of them had left. Most of them had gone after the money. And in their minds, it was literally money or God. They didn't see any correlation. They didn't see how Christ could be God of all. And so what they did was they left it. They said most of the people who they invested years into had left the church. And it's easy to be distracted. Every day we have things that are loud and louder, and they'll be even louder the older we get. As technology develops, it's more and more in your face right before. And most of it is stuff you want to hear. Most of it is things that you want to know. But there are currently a lot of voices out there. So it's very hard when you think about being quiet, listening to Jesus' voice, when you have all these other voices going on. Let me shift this a little bit. In psychology, we talk about four core needs that people have. They call it the, the core quad. And I think it's the next slide up on there that we'll look at. There are, there are four needs that you, everybody has one huge need. Okay? One thing, one of these. And so... For each person, it'll be a little bit different. There's usually one that's really big. Second one is not too bad. Maybe the other two don't really um, concern you. Let me just explain. Security. These kinds of people, they really need a secure schedule, a secure address, a secure life, and everything is orderly and everything works out really, really well. Okay? If you're Swiss, especially if you're Germans, Swiss-German, this is... Very much your life. That's why they're such good bankers. Um, they do really well with a clear schedule. Now, most of you here have been ripped out and placed somewhere else around the world, and you've gone back and forth. So you, if you are this kind of person, you've had to deal with the pain of losing friends, of losing things that are really clear. And these kinds of people, if they are in an environment that is planned, that is scheduled where their responsibilities are clear, they have accountability, they do really, really well. They excel. They do great. Okay, freedom, these are people that my dear friend John Gates, to me, typifies. Someone who is, freedom is a high, high value. What does it mean? These people don't like rules, they don't like constraints, and they always think way beyond where other people think. When other people say, we can't do that, they think, why not? Why? So if, you are, have, if you're here and you have started your own company, chances are good that you fit into this. You love having your own business. You are the one in charge. You are the one setting the rules. You are the one that decides when we finish work. You are deciding this and that. That kind of a person really does well. And so if they're in an environment where they have a lot of freedom, they have responsibilities, but they have an incredible amount of freedom, they don't have a lot of boundaries... These people do really, really well. And I can say, dear brother, you have done really, really well in many circumstances. Did you notice today how he was inviting everybody to come to this thing in the afternoon? 
I thought, John, you are so inclusive. He, he got a flat tire and he comes here. And what is he talking? He's not saying, oh, that stupid flat tire. Instead, he's talking about a taxi guy who helped him. That is someone who is open and free to see whatever God wants to do. And they'll be excited about it. Think about it. If, you, if security is your core need, this morning his flat tire would have been a disaster for you. Oh my gosh, we're going to be late for church. Oh my gosh, we're, we don't, I don't know how to do this. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Okay, but for John, that's fine. It's just another, another event in the life of where God is leading him. Okay, three is connection. Now, connection is big in this country as well. Um, if you don't have connections, you don't have a life. And what does it mean? It means these kinds of people need to have relationships. They need to have friendships. They're not just kind of floaty or just kind of going through life. They're not the kind of people that will sit at a computer all day. Although now there's a lot of social media where they can adapt to that. But most of them, they want to have face-to-face. They want to meet people. I have to touch you. I have to see you. They have to have connections. They're not loners. They're not people who work by themselves. They work best in a good team where we have teamwork and we're all working together. These kinds of people, if they have the, worth, the perfect office, if they have the perfect teammates, man, they excel. They do great. They do really, really well. But... If something happens where those relationships break down, if something happens where the connections aren't there, they really have a hard time. It's really hard for them. People who are maybe more loners would say, they're gone, goodbye, and go on. People who are connection-oriented would be sitting there and remember that for a long, long time. Now, the last one is significance. These are people who want to change the world. These are people who want to do something big. And I think a lot of people here would fit into this, where they really, otherwise, a lot of people, you wouldn't be here. Um, You want to see something big happen. You're not content just with little things, but you really want to make your life count. You really want to see something happen. And you want other people to know that you're the one who did it. And so if you work in an office, or you work in an institute, or you do something where you did all the work, but you don't get any of the credit... Ooh, that's a little hard. You want to check that again? Make sure my name is on that. And so people who love significance, that's their need. They won't, don't want to waste their life, but they want everybody to know that they didn't waste their life as well. And again, if these people are part of something where they don't get recognition, it is oftentimes very hard. Now, why am I bringing this up? All of us have one of these, and you're probably going through your mind and maybe thinking, that's my mom, and oh yeah, my dad's this way, and see, you should, you know, that's why. But it may help you understand why people don't always get along and why people clash, but it will help also help you to understand why do you go through seasons of life where everything seems to work? And you think, man, that was great. Why can't I love Jesus the way I did back then when it all fit? When it all worked out. You see, the, the only problem with this is that when it's taken away, how do you respond? When it's taken away, when you are the person who has security, when you get a flat tire on Sunday morning and you're supposed to be up there speaking, what happens when you are pulled from your wonderful house in Florida and now you're relocated in Beijing? What happens when you have so much freedom in your company of only 40 people But now you get bought out by Microsoft. And suddenly all your rights go away. 
And suddenly your decisions just have to be vetted into another process. How about when you are with a work, working group or even your family and everything goes well and everyone fits together and everyone's growing and you're excited and suddenly somebody slips or maybe somebody even turns on you. What happens to that? Or when you are working on something to change the world and suddenly people back home say, there's no more money. Or the company says, nice job, we're going to scrap that division. What do you do? Now think about this. Jesus came from heaven. Jesus came from heaven, where I think it's his place. I think he's probably very comfortable being there. And I think he probably is, in a sense, his, in his best environment. And instead, he comes to earth, and he lives among us. That's quite a jump. That's, quite, that's about the most drastic form of somebody moving out of a place that they really feel comfortable in. I'll give you another example. I'm, I'm the connection person. I love to have, you know, keep up with people. Um, I love to care about people. I love to have those connections. And there's a group of um, men and women that I regularly relate to. I have for many, many years good, good people. My mentors, my heroes, my, they've had an incredible impact on us. Um, they've had a great impact on our family, on our marriage, people that I really admire. But I started to notice at one point the connection was drifting. And I started to feel a little bit of pain there. This is a few years ago, and I thought, what is going on? And I realized ever so slowly and slightly my relationship, the way I viewed them, had started to change. I depended on them more. I wanted their approval more. I just was hungry more for more from them. And it wasn't in one day. It was a slow, slow process like that. And I said, God, I hate this. Did you ever find something in your heart or your life, and you know it's wrong, whether it's jealousy, pride, lust or something, and you go, God, I hate this. I don't like it. I can see it. It's like it comes out and it's just there like this black X. And you can't, you don't know what to do with it. And you can't get rid of it on your own. And you go, God, I don't know what to do. Well, that's what it was like. And so I prayed and I said, God, why are these people so important to me? You've used them over and over to shape me, to mold me, to help me grow. But what has happened? And I felt like he said to me, because they feed you. And I thought, what? I know they've invited me over for dinner a number of times, and they've invested in us, and they've supported us, and stuff like that, but what do you mean they feed me? And I realized that in my heart, rather than looking to Jesus for some things, it had slightly shifted, and I began to look to these people so that they could almost do no wrong. They could almost make no mistakes. And instead, I had looked to him. And so I repented of that. But I said, God, you have to show me how to live. Now, it would be easy to say, okay, skip them. I'm never going to talk to them again. Then I'm going to have a new life. And all of that idol worship for me will be gone. Because that's what it had become. But instead, it was harder to say, what is it like to stay in this group and to be free? Because that's what I really wanted. I really wanted to be free. And so I started asking God, okay, how do I do this? Paul Tripp is a writer in the States, and here's what he says. 
if you are not feeding your soul on the realities of the presence, the promises, and the provisions of Christ, you will ask people, situations, things around you to be the Messiah that they can never be. If you are not attaching your identity to the unshakable love of our wonderful Savior, you will begin to ask the things in your life to be your Savior, and it will never happen. If you are not requiring yourself to get your deepest sense of well-being vertically, then you will shop for it horizontally, and you will always come up empty. If you are not resting in the one true gospel, preaching it to yourself over and over again, you will look to another gospel to meet the needs of your unsettled heart. And you'll end up empty. Why? Because you're searching for something that can never be found. Things, people, events even if they're good, like my friends are, that can't satisfy your soul. God may use that, but it can't satisfy. That's why those core needs are important to think about, but also important to realize they are not your deepest need. Your deepest need is following Jesus. And honestly, when we as Christians put our, we expect to get our needs met through those four core needs, then we start, and when things shift, that's when we plateau. That's when we get stuck. That's when we stop growing, and that's when we stop moving on. Now, what do you do? All of us have been hired, wired by God to be in awe of him, to love him. That's why when you look at that commandment, your first commandment is to love the Lord God, your heart, soul, might. Usually we look at that thing, okay, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Oh, we should. But it's not just a, well, yingaida, I should do it. Listen, if we love the Lord God, and put all of our hopes and dreams into one basket, and that being him. Psychologically, we will be the healthiest. Spiritually, we will be the strongest than any other time. Nothing else will bring it to that. So God commanding us to love him is not just, you better do this or else. It's, listen, if you do this, then you will be the most fulfilled, and you will be what God has created you to be. So, Walking with him, walking with him, abiding in him. How do we start doing? How do we start doing that? Where's the fiercest battle for your mind? A lot of times you can say, "Well, in the boardroom," or when I would go past that website that I shouldn't have stopped at, or when I see this or that or whatever. But very often in the morning when you wake up. When you have all these things rushing at you, the meeting today, insurance needs to get paid. Oh, we take, need the kid, kids need to get this. We have to get this. It starts the moment you wake up. And how many of us look to our phones? How many of us look to this and that right away in the morning? And I've done that at different times, and I realize as I'm on the way out the door, I'm going on my own here. I'm, I'm flying solo. I'm not going with God. And so in the morning when you wake up, Spend those first few minutes with Christ. And then throughout the day, remind yourself from time to time who you are and who he is. We have a lot of time where we're waiting on a subway, waiting for a bus, waiting for a taxi, waiting in the elevator, waiting in the bathroom, waiting. And the first thing we normally do is pull out the phone. What is it like to pull out, to instead look to God? even if you have scripture on the phone or something, just a couple minutes. 
Now, we're going to be going to a Muslim country, and people said, you know, every day you're going to be hearing, you know, five times a day. And honestly, when we got there, it didn't bother me, but actually it was kind of a help because it was like, well, it's 2 o'clock. Oh, okay, it's 4, it's 5. But what it would do is teaching well. It would remind me, who am I and who is God? It would bring me back. You know, I didn't go to the mosque, but I went back and... It would remind me, I thought, that's a good thing to, throughout the day, be reminded, to remember. When we pray for dinner, we usually, or a meal, we usually, oh, Lord, God, thank you, brother, and instead, it should be something to remind us, stop, we're going to eat, who are we, and who is he, and to remind ourselves. Finally, let me just say this. We talk a lot about abiding in Christ, and I know some of you might be tired of hearing it and thinking, wow, every single week we talk about that. Why? Because abiding in Christ is your insurance for finishing well. Abiding in Christ means that you won't plateau. It means that you'll hear his voice, that you'll follow him. Even when you fail, you can get right back up. Abiding in Christ is your assurance that 20 years from now, you will still be following Christ and have an even deeper love and a stronger faith than you do today. So abiding in Christ is not just the elders' ideas and not just kind of a nice thing or whatever. I, I want to push you and encourage you to find what does that mean for you in your situation in your everyday life. Because abiding in Christ, if you do this, will assure that you will finish well. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you care about us just as much as when we got saved as you do when we're 30, when we're 25, when we're 40, when we're 50, 60, every day you say you're with us. And Jesus, we really want to finish well. We want our families to finish well. We want our friends to finish well. Lord, would you help us? Would you teach us so that we can become good at abiding in you and walking with you so we can say our ministry, our job, Our project is not our first priority, but our listening to your voice and obeying you, that's where we want to be, God. We know that that's where we'll really find hope, we'll find true peace, and we'll find true joy. So God, do whatever you want to do. You're really good at this. Have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.